Tabitha. And you are listening to Educators Who Dare to Lead. Stay tuned. Okay, Elizabeth, word association time. I'm going to say a word and you tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. Oh, oh. You ready? Sure. Feedback. <sighs> That's my word. <laughs> um, tension, gift, conflict, valuable, growth. Wait, did you want lots of words or just the first word? Oh, whatever. I'll take it all. Yeah. Not enough. And it has to be given with a true intent for growth. That is a lot. What I noticed about your words is you went, you kind of ping-ponged. You went back and forth between <laughs> like more negative emotions and more positive ones associated with feedback. So it definitely, and I loved it. The first thing you said was tension because that there is a lot of tension with feedback, right? I think if, so I don't feel that way anymore. I used to feel that way. And I yeah. think that most people would associate that with it. My personal experience with it after a lot of self-reflection and growth and Brene Brown and Amy Poehler, people that have influenced my life, is that feedback is definitely a gift. It is yeah. almost always a gift, even if you don't, going back to an earlier episode, accept that it is true, you can accept that this is someone's truth and they are giving you an insight into what they're going, dealing with. And that in turn can help you better serve them if that is your role. So I think it's almost always a gift. I feel the tension because most recently our role with feedback is to give it more than we have received it when we were instructional mm. coaches. We got feedback here and there from our managers, but that was kind of a big deal. Yeah. But we were giving feedback as almost half of our, half of my calendar was meeting with teachers and giving them feedback on, on a recent lesson. So part of coaching was kind of coaching them to be able to receive feedback in a new way and mm -hmm. coaching them that the, the feedback they would get from their instructional coach would be different than maybe some of their other feedback in the past. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Well, there are two sides of feedback because you've got the giving feedback and yep. then the getting feedback. And I think that I have two very different responses from each, <laughs> each of those. Yeah. Um, so the getting feedback, I know that that is an area of growth for me. I've made a lot of progress over the years, but I remember especially being younger, being just becoming very defensive if I got any constructive feedback, especially if it's centered around an area that either is really close to your identity mm -hmm. or you feel like, okay, this is who I am and this is what I do. 
um, it, it's a little bit harder to receive feedback there. So things like teaching or parenting, the things that are just closest to my heart and closest to yeah. who I believe that I am as a person, it's harder to get feedback on those. It's also, I think, harder to receive feedback on something that you know it already is a deficit. Yes. So it's like, okay, well, I know I'm really bad at exercising. <laughs> I know I'm not the world's best dog trainer, but if you tried to give me feedback on that when I'm already experiencing like uh, maybe shame around that, mm. then automatically, you know, you come back at that putting up your armor. So there are a couple of areas that feedback is difficult on, but then I'm also was thinking through, okay, but what are the areas that I really appreciate feedback? And it's like, um, like if somebody wants to give me feedback on how to keep plants alive or how to grow a garden, absolutely. I'm all for it. If you want to give me feedback on how to fix a car, then okay. Yes, I'll take it. The things that I don't know about that I don't know enough about, but also aren't super close to my heart or my values or my identity, then it's easier. Like I just, that are just a little bit farther removed from me. I hmm. think it's, it's easier to receive feedback on those things. If someone had asked me, does Tabitha receive feedback? Well, I would say absolutely one of the most receptive people to feedback that I know or work with. I am super curious about my perspective of how you receive feedback and your perspective. What's that I think, about? I think it's because I've known myself longer than you've known me. <laughs> <laughs> so I am wait, wait, wait. that answer just just write <laughs> that down everybody because that is a great comeback. And comeback is I know it's armor, but I am just thinking if you need a moment to pause and just have a go-to response, I think that is a beautiful kind of check in when people are making assumptions about you that you know are just because they're lacking the information. Okay. I'm sorry. I had to, that was fantastic. I love that. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, you might be looking at it from what you know about me now in the present, yes, whereas I'm looking at my ability to receive feedback over the past 38 years of my life and seeing, re remembering specific times where it was difficult for me or I did become defensive and I'm mm -hmm. um, just recognizing that I have grown, but there are still times that I feel like I'm not quite there yet, that I still have some room for growth. I feel the same way, but I don't respond to the question the same way. I would think that I am pretty decent at receiving feedback because my present self is pretty decent at it, have some room to grow, but I recognize how much I have grown and it is just night and day, even mm -hmm. from maybe five years ago. It's interesting that we're describing the same experience, but we are responding to the question so differently with our words. Yeah. That's why it's always fun to have conversations around things like this because mm -hmm. you get such a wealth of perspectives from mm -hmm. different personalities and yeah that's why clarity is so important that's why paint done is so important and clear mm -hmm. as kind is so important because if you're leading a group of students or a group of teachers your same situation can be described so 
differently person to person. So really being clear with when you tell someone you need them to be receptive to receiving feedback, saying out loud what those behaviors are. So when you are being receptive to feedback, I'm seeing you take notes. I'm seeing you ask open questions. I'm seeing you with open body language. I'm seeing you ask for more time if you need more time to process. I'm seeing you do these things and being clear with what that can look like so that the person receiving feedback doesn't then get upset about the feedback, about their receptiveness to feedback. It's just it yeah. becomes a vicious loop. Right. That's where I'm, wow, what a, I'm so glad that you took the opener today because that <laughs> might just sit with me for a good long while. That was fantastic. Thank you. We haven't even introduced our show yet. And we've already, <laughs> look at, look well, at how deep we've already gone. <laughs> technically we have because I have a little intro thing that goes on to each oh, episode that we recorded right, a while right, and right. I can't stand the way that I say <laughs> educators. I don't know why I can't say that word. <laughs> Maybe somebody out there is being like, oh good, she knows. <laughs> can't stand the way she says educators. I don't understand how I, but I keep trying to say it and it gets worse as I try and say it better. So let's just oh go goodness. with it. Introduce the show. I, I'm just going to hit <laughs> you right now and let you take it away. All right. All right, everyone. Hello out there. Thank you for joining us on educators who educators. See, now I can't even say the word. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on educators who dare to lead. I'm Tabitha. Oh, I'm, I'm laughing. That's who I am right now. I'm Elizabeth. That's Elizabeth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The one laughing. Um, and today we are continuing part two of Renee Brown's book, Dare to Lead, entitled Living into Our Values. And if you haven't listened to episode 7A, that is the first half of this conversation. We talked about defining your core values, identifying behaviors that go along with those values, and we also discussed that idea of assuming positive intent and believing that people are doing the best they can, that they're coming from a good place. And what we didn't discuss yet from that section of the book was all of the ways that we can live into our values while both giving and receiving feedback. And this is such a huge part of education that we decided to save it for its own episode. So here we are. Welcome to Living Into Our Values, Focus on Feedback Edition. Feedback and assuming positive intent. And those things first felt like, well, do they really belong to each other? And then as I was going through the whole thing, I was like, yeah, absolutely. They go to each other. Mm -hmm. And in fact, when we were instructional coaches and we were giving a lot of feedback, one of the things that we talked about as a team was assuming positive intent. So this is so important in all fields when you're working with people, but so important in education. And I think it's vital right now with moving to online and so many people that are in education having to support so many families every decision that you make half of the people are going to support you and half of them are not and the stress that educators are taking on right now has to just be 
almost insurmountable. So supporting each other and assuming positive intent and knowing how to give feedback to each other, to parents, to the teachers in our life or the educators in our life. If we can give better feedback while assuming positive intent, then we can support each other because so many of us are parents and educators right now. And that's tough. I, I'm, I'm really feeling my, my, uh, my child's teachers right now. I'm like, oh my oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> well, the teacher today said, she was like, I'm so sorry. I didn't get your assignment in Google Classrooms. Every single student had to be logged in manually, the ones that were at school today. And I was like, oh my gosh, that sounds like a nightmare. And I could have given her my frustration. And you know what, five years ago, maybe I would have because I would have had some, some armor or something like that. But feedback, I think, is a gift. And I think we should intend it to be a gift when we give it. Yeah. I love that. And that's something I wanted to circle back to when you said it at the very beginning that feedback is a gift. I really like that description of it. It reminds me of, which I think that we'll probably get into later, but Brene says there's something valuable here. So whenever she's receiving feedback from someone else, just reminding yourself, um, maybe you're not going to take every single thing to heart, but there is something valuable. Mm -hmm. And that's, definitely a good thing to remember. So in this whole section, what was the most impactful thing for you? I think, oh man, there was you a knew lot. It was coming. <laughs> I know, I knew it was coming and yet I still didn't, I still didn't narrow down my answer yet. Okay. So I think what was most impactful for me in regards to the fields of education Mm -hmm. What I really zeroed in on was not so much the receiving of feedback, but the giving of feedback as it relates to dealing with your students. Okay. And I was looking through her list. She's got this list of one, two, three, four, 10 things, 10 things. Mm -hmm. She says, I know I'm ready to give feedback when, and then she goes through describing the behaviors that you need to have Mm -hmm. and the actions you need to take in order to give effective feedback to someone else. And as I was reading through them, I, my mind immediately was back in the classroom thinking Mm -hmm. about how teachers give feedback to their students. And, um, okay. If anyone has seen the show Breaking Bad, have you Elizabeth? No. Okay. Well, it's not, you don't have to have a background in the show (laughs) to be able to understand this connection, but there is a teacher, a high school chemistry teacher, okay, and um, there's a flashback to when he was in the classroom and uh, when he had given a test and one of his students, Jesse in the show, for those of you who know it, so Mr. White um, was handing back the test and Jesse gets his test and I forget the exact words he wrote on the top of it, but it was something very negative, like pitiful, like (gasps) poor, very poor, like ridiculous. Like, did you even try, you know, something with a very negative connotation. Well, Um, good. I'm glad he left the teaching profession. I mean, not for math, but, (laughs) and that got that Jesse kid. Is that the one that ends up being his sidekick? I'm sure I'm not, there are people yelling at me, right? Like, it's not Batman and Robin, but you know, <laughs> no, be kind. Um, 
But that really stood out to me because I was thinking about how if you want to help your students grow, that is not the way to do it. And I know, you know, if I'm assuming positive intent about Walter White, I could say, well, he knows that Jesse has potential that he's not tapping into, that he's not living up to, and he's maybe trying to use the negative comment to push him. But I, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't personally. I don't think that's the way to go. Okay. Anyway, but when we get into a positive intent, I'm going to let's circle back to that because my understanding of positive intent is different, but keep going. Okay. So anyway, it mm -hmm. just got me thinking and that, that image of that scene in the show came up to my mind as I'm reading through all of the, the different ways that we know we're ready to give feedback and how we communicate with our students and want to just help them to see mm -hmm. their areas of growth, but also help them to see their strengths and how their strengths can come in mm -hmm. and support their areas of growth and asking questions and learning more about their situation and their experience and what's going on in their lives yeah. and in their thought processes, because there's so much more to feedback in the classroom of just saying, okay, you got a 95, you got an 87, you got a 76. Um, let's move on. Mm -hmm. um, there's just so much more digging that you need to do. And that's why I really like the idea of individual conferences with students, like mm -hmm. the, the idea of data conferences and um, setting goals with your students and, and walking them through, okay, what's the progress that you've made? I, when my daughter was in first grade, then their, her teacher led them through a goal setting process where each tiny little kid each little first grader Aww. set a very specific academic goal for themselves. And then she would meet with them and say, how are you doing on the goal? And they had their little chart, you know, where they made a bar graph and they colored in um, just to track how they were doing. And I just thought that was a fantastic way to just to come alongside the students and give them the feedback that they needed in a positive way and help them to take ownership of their areas of growth. Mm -hmm. So anyway, there's a lot, to unpack there, but I think that was the most impactful part of this section for me was just thinking through how do we as teachers respect our students enough to give them feedback that in the way that they need it rather than thinking of, oh, well, they're just the kids and, and I'm the teacher, so I'm just going to slap a grade on their paper and, and move on from it, mm -hmm. but really being purposeful with feedback to students and um, being aware of how you're behaving in those moments and those conversations. Mm -hmm. I know you have a lot going on in your mind. I can see your thinking face. <laughs> <laughs> My thought was 10 is a lot. Teachers are tasked with giving academic feedback and sometimes it can look like this. Somebody in academics will see that giving academic feedback shows up on somebody's meta-analysis slash list of research slash ASCD edutopia slash favorite resource as making growth and gains in the classroom. And they will say, yep, found it. 
every teacher is given academic feedback. Oh, it needs to be frequent. Okay, every assignment that is turned in, you need to give feedback within 48 hours. Oh, it needs to be high quality. Okay, let's define what high quality is. Then we look at this list. 10 things is a lot to go through and check off before you can give feedback. And my experience is middle school, so I'm going to say to 90 or even up to 150 students on every assignment that they give. I'm not even sure what the question is. Either how do you respond to feedback when you are tasked to respond and literally don't have the capacity to go through all 10? And I feel like I'm asking for a shortcut, which isn't appropriate, but I am not exactly sure where I'm landing there. Or am I thinking about this incorrectly? Are we broadening the term of feedback too much? Is the 10 steps more for the big like sit down conference moments and scrawling something on a piece of paper is not the same kind of need to go through all those 10 steps? What is your take on that? Okay. So the way that I was taking it, was instead of before you ever sit down with any single student or before you ever give feedback on an essay or a single test, it's not like you need to sit down and have this checklist of 10 things for each of those moments. I'm thinking of it more as a mindset, like, okay, before the school year starts, let me center myself. Let me make sure that I have the right approach to giving feedback to my students overall okay. and just kind of prepare yourself at the beginning of each school year mm. rather than at the beginning of each conversation with your student and just remind yourself this is how I want to show up throughout the entire year whenever I have an opportunity to speak with one of my students about something that may be difficult for them okay. to learn and grow from. That's, or, that was my take yeah. on it, was more just an overarching um, thing instead of let me have my checklist next to me before I grade every single test. Well, or maybe have it. I think that's like so many of these things, you have to have that emotional literacy to dig inside yourself. If you're writing comments, then... Yeah. I think this relates a lot more to maybe project-based learning or yeah. um, essays or papers or things like that when students are really putting their heart and soul into something, mm -hmm. like they're showing up with vulnerability by um, turning in this mm -hmm. project or assignment and you need to make sure that you're giving them feedback that's meaningful and helpful mm -hmm. rather than just, okay, yeah, it's a, it's a multiple choice test that's pretty cut and dry. You know, as a teacher, I think I gave... I think more of these things applied when I was giving feedback on classroom management, trying yeah. to manage those behaviors. Yeah. So I know I'm ready to give feedback when I recognize your strengths and how you can use those to address your challenges. That's when you have that student that you know is a natural leader, but they're using everybody's airtime and always mm -hmm. coming up with the answer. And you're like, I need everyone to have this opportunity. So how can I, use their strengths as a leader and help develop their strengths as a leader by teaching them and coaching them how to to lead by giving airspace or maybe even trying to have that emotional literacy to understand maybe what's going on by what they do. Mm -hmm. The thing that came up to me 
I was going through the whole 10. And then later on in the book she has where that's when she talks about the Phineas and Ferb thing and the operationalizer and they have their three rules or three values for their work. And you were talking about how your school had the three. Mm -hmm. And I kind of feel like the thread that ties this feedback piece together is you have to have curiosity and you have to, I would say, stand on solid ground. Like you have to go into it with enough knowledge and then a balance of curiosity to, un to believe that there's more to the situation that, than even what you know that you know or know that you don't know or however that phrase is. Mm -hmm. Was there anything that you saw as kind of a thread for all 10 of these? What I'm thinking is I have to give feedback because the situation just popped in front of me and I wasn't prepared. I don't have yeah. my checklist. Like, what can I say to myself? I could say, Elizabeth, be curious. Yeah. And, and at least get to some of these. I think the curiosity one is huge. The other thing I'm seeing is just the empathy. Mm -hmm. um, and reminding yourself that whatever your students are going through, you may not be able to identify with their experience, but you can identify with the emotions behind it. And you never know what may come out of a conversation, a difficult conversation with a student or what you might end up finding out about what they're dealing with on a personal level. So also if you're keeping both curiosity and empathy in mind, um, as you're headed into feedback conversations, whether it's uh, academically related or more behaviorally related, I think you're probably going to be in pretty good shape. What do you do when you go into a situation and you have like exhibit A through Z, you feel like you really understand the situation and you still go in there curious. I'm thinking of situations where some consequence has already been agreed to or stated and then you go into the conversation and your understanding has changed how do you handle that and i can dive in deeper if i need to so let's say you have had a conversation with a student and said okay the next time this happens yeah. then this consequence will happen yep. and now you're at the point but then you find out more information like oh well actually my mom's been in the hospital and that's yep. why I behaved this way. Okay. Um, or with an administrator, with a teacher, like the teacher says, you know, this and you're like, okay, you know, I guess our next step is we need to do X. And then you sit down with that family and you realize that there's more to the situation. And cause I think there's this pressure of like, I said, Hey, I have to do right. a, yeah. Because you I don't want to show like, up as wishy-washy or worried that you're being taken advantage of. Yeah. I think that there's room for flexibility. Um, I think that if new information comes to light, you still got to find a way to take that into account. And mm -hmm. maybe just before you decide which way you're going to end up, at least bring that new information into the conversation. Mm -hmm. um, or maybe don't just, you can store your reaction consequence mm -hmm. in your mind but don't deliver it until you know all the information yeah or say it out loud because and it can be very difficult in classrooms for these kind of things because you can have rules and they're there and you have consequences and they are there but 
whatever is going on with those students is none of the other students' business. And a lot of times families will feel like something is unfair because student A did this, they got this consequence, but my kid did it and they, you know, got this Mm -hmm. other consequence. And sometimes there are definitely things that we need to investigate. And sometimes it's because I'm sorry, but I can't tell you that that child has special education accommodations. And this is part of their accommodation is that um, they have the ability to step out of the classroom you know, but when your child just walked out of the class, they got a different consequence because that's not part of their accommodation. Or I I can't tell you that this child is in foster care and just found out that their mom didn't show up at the last court date. And I can't tell you, there's so much. And if you are a parent right now, and, and please understand that often the teacher's if they give you things that don't make sense, that sometimes you really, really don't know the whole story and it's, it's just not ours to share. And it's really, it's not everybody's business, but I have found myself in some of those situations where families were really mad and it's like, I can't tell you these things, but I, I feel like you would understand if you knew all the information. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Did you have a favorite or like a go-to step for those 10 things? Oh, yes, there is. (laughs) I had to go back and look in my book to see what I put stars and underlined a million times. Okay. Number seven is I know I'm ready to give feedback when I'm open to owning my part. And so I was like, okay, what does this mean? What does this look like in the classroom? What does this look like in relation to teachers giving feedback to students? Um, And I, what came to my mind here is getting clarity on where maybe misunderstandings lie and where students' misconceptions are and owning the fact that, oh my goodness, this is what they thought about this skill or this process. This is how they understood it as I was teaching it. And so there is, that's on me. I need to re-explain it. I need to find a different approach to this concept in order to meet the needs of this student. As you're giving feedback to students and you're in a dialogue with them, you are not just helping them to grow in their understanding, but you're also sharpening your own skills as a teacher because you are adapting in the moment to um, how you are approaching your instruction and what strategies you're using and making sure that you are able to be flexible and appeal to all learners and, and, and give them what they need. That was the one I was excited about. I love that. And we have talked recently about what's my part and how it is different from blame or even guilt that what's my part is a contribution, which means that is in your control and that's really empowering. I'm curious how that ties to, and I feel like there is another one that I had in mind Number six, how does that tie to the one right before it? I know I'm ready to give feedback when I can hold you accountable without shame and blaming. If you have a student and they're saying, I didn't get this because I couldn't find the link. And you're thinking, well, you could have found the link if you had looked on this other page. But you can say, okay, well, my part is I could have had the link in both places. But also we have to have boundaries. We can't spend 
every waking hour doing, trying to make everybody happy. So here's the, here's the real question I'm asking you. How do you use, take your part while still holding students accountable or teachers or learners and have good boundaries around self care? Cause I think this is a big boundary stepping issue where teachers are like, fine, I'll put the link everywhere. I dare you not to find it now. So I think the first part of that is reflection. If a student comes back at you and says, well, I couldn't do it because you didn't give me the right directions or it wasn't clear, you know, take a minute to see if there's any truth to that and put yourself in the shoes of a student. And especially if they're middle school or high school and they're trying to juggle several different classes and assignments and upcoming tests and projects, maybe it wasn't as clear as you thought it was going to be. So um, first off, making sure that there wasn't something that you could do more clearly. And then if you found, no, I, I did what I was supposed to do. And this is really more <laughs> the student um, needing to, to step, step up and take responsibility. Then I think it, it then becomes about what can we do so that this doesn't happen again. What are you going to do next time so that you don't face the same problem? So you couldn't find the link. Let me walk you through one more time or remind you, here's where it is. Mm -hmm. What's, what are you going to do next time when the assignment comes up and you can't find the link? What, what are your steps to prevent this from happening again? And then that places the responsibility back on them and keeps your boundaries because then the, you know, you could come up with a plan like I will email my teacher if I can't find the link or I will ask three classmates before I come to the teacher, Yeah, you know, and then it's still their responsibility um, to, to do the information gathering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it protects your boundaries and your time while also owning your part. I really love that. I really loved number five when I was coaching. I'm ready to give you feedback when I could recognize your strengths and how you use them to address your challenges because it was something that I could see in each one of the teachers that I was charged to supporting where I could really admire somebody's organization and I could see how that connected to maybe having more like passion or, or, um, presence in their teaching in the classroom. Like their mind are, their mind is always spinning on making everything like really clear and they're so organized and everything just runs so beautifully. But sometimes when they speak, you know, maybe they're a little monotone and it's probably because they are running everything in their head to make sure everything goes off without a hitch. And then I would be in another class where I would see this teacher with amazing engagement and just so much fun. And sometimes I would be like their focus on fun sometimes makes it to where we don't always hit the the standards in a really nice smooth progression from beginning all the way up to a check for understanding and see how like, let's take the fun thing that you do and let's, let's pull in the standard activity and just like coach them on this one piece, but always putting their strength as part of it. The other thing is this idea that when you grow, you're not trying to, 
it's not like a integer number line where you have all of your positive traits above zero and all of your negative traits below zero and you're trying to get everything up to be zero or higher. Sometimes the most impactful thing you can do is to take something that's already at that positive level. Mm -hmm. Let's just go to 10 because I'm just not going to go that high <laughs> right now, but let's say you've got a positive 10 up top and a negative 10 down at the bottom. Like, yeah, if you've got a negative 10, you're probably going to need to strengthen that. We're just talking kind of abstractly here. But if you've got something that's like a negative three or a negative two, like maybe it just doesn't have the impact that taking something that you're already good at, that's a seven and taking that up to a 10 mm -hmm. would impact you, your career, your, your teammates and your students. So really recognizing and going into our student strength and our teacher strength. I really like that with number five. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I'm really proud of the growth that I've made is number nine. I think it is. Um, I'm ready to give feedback when I can talk about how resolving these challenges will lead to growth and opportunity. I love this idea that when you have a conflict or a challenge with someone, that how you go through that has the potential to grow both of you. That helps me appreciate, appreciate people and behaviors that in mm -hmm. the past may have really upset me or even annoyed me because I think I was really living into my armor, my defensiveness, where now I'm like, okay, this is going to be hard, but I know I can get through it. I know I have people that support me and I know that by going through this, we have a real chance to, to grow together. And I'm thinking about some of the relationships I've had with students and some with teachers where we didn't understand each other at first. Mm -hmm. And by trying to own my part and go through that us getting through that conflict allowed us to understand each other better than if the conflict had never happened. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I have this one teacher in mind where I thought everything was fine. And then one day she just, just took a long time to respond. And she was just like, I just feel like you're picking apart everything that I do. And Aww. these meetings are really tough for me. And I thought Aww. everything was fine because she never let on. And I think yeah. it was this identity of I'm a professional. I can take feedback, everything. Yeah you know, like, I'm not going to let that feedback get me down. If she had never said that, I would not have grown with her. And we got through that together. But the other thing is, she helped me understand a huge thing that I was missing is that people selectively reveal what they're going to reveal to you. And there may be people that are really struggling with how you're handling things, and they're not going to tell you because they're not ready to tell you. And I'm so appreciative of her. Like it could have been a negative experience that it could have just been a negative experience, but instead it was a transformative experience. And that's how I view number nine. That's really amazing. I hope that that gives people the encouragement and the strength, because I think this is something I, that story is something that I'm going to tuck away and pull out for future use to remember that when you are in the situation of being on the receiving end of feedback, yeah, sometimes you need to speak up and, and talk about how, what you can handle and what your boundaries are and how it's affecting you. Because like you said, it was 
something that you weren't aware of. It was something that you hadn't picked up on and you wouldn't have known unless she spoke up. So yeah, yeah let's speak up. And, and I think Brene talks about that too, as she gets mm-hmm. into the be, getting good at receiving feedback. And um, she talks about how you do need to set boundaries for yourself. And there are moments where you can say, and she says directly, here's a quote from page 205. You know what? I'm overloaded right now. If we can pick one of these things to dig into and then make time to come back and talk through other issues, I'm willing to do that, but I can only hear so much right now. So when just keeping in mind that when you're on the receiving end of feedback, you don't always just have to sit there silently, (laughs) you know, and receive it. There are times where you may need to speak up for yourself and, and set those boundaries and make them known. Because if you don't voice Mm -hmm. it, then the other person may just be trucking right along, assuming everything is fine. And uh, it's an opportunity that both of you can grow. So yeah, this makes me think about so much. One is the loudest person that you're getting feedback from doesn't necessarily represent everyone. Another thing is that giving feedback is vulnerable. You know this because you get nervous when you have to tell a family that something is going on, like their student said something that they shouldn't have said, even if you know that everything is in the right, that you're standing on solid ground. And even if you go through these 10 steps and you show up with curiosity, you still get nervous giving that feedback, which means that a lot of times people are nervous giving their feedback to you as well. So it's really just information and you go through the filter of and the lens of this is their truth, which we talked about from a previous episode. Mm -hmm. I don't have to accept Mm -hmm. it as capital T H E capital T truth. It's their truth. This is how they are feeling. That means this is giving me the information I need to help them and be grateful that they are coming to you instead of just going behind you or going above you. They are giving you some good information that you need. You don't have to, you don't have to live in it. You don't have to own all of it. You can own your part and go through it and respond this way. There is a quote and I'm in the Kindle version, so I don't know what page it is, but it's 70% of the way in where she says, this is the path to mastery. This is the path to mastery. These people care about this as much as I do. Your parents, if you are teaching in in, um, kindergarten through 12th grade, they really care about their kids. And I'm going to say they Mm -hmm. care about them more than you do for the vast, vast majority. We all have um, some parents that are going some real um, traumatic things in life and, and may not be able to care for their kids the way that they should be cared for. But we can view it through that lens and, and just wonder what is going on. And also this idea of some people's experience with teachers and educators was their experience was not great mm-hmm. and they're kind of coming up full armored. And so if you can kind of try and take a peek behind that arm, that armory and just listen to what are they really saying? What is really going on or just being curious and sometimes repeating back to them. So, wow, that sounds really frustrating. I'm so sorry you had that experience. Can you tell me more about that so I can help you? You don't, if they're like, you're so unorganized and I can't find anything and blah, 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 and they start throwing things at you, you can let go of the accusations and you can still respond with, 
wow, that sounds really frustrating. Let's, let's tackle this together. Let's figure this out. And you don't have to agree with any of that feedback to help somebody. One, and we're kind of moving into seamlessly the receiving of feedback portion of the book. Oh, I thought we were there. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, yes, we're there. I just, I don't know. I just now realized that we were there apparently. <laughs> but I'm like, oh, we'll wow, get there together. <laughs> <laughs> we did. Okay. We have already we moved seamlessly into the receiving feedback portion. And one of the things I really appreciate about this part of the book from Brene is the different mantras that she says that she sometimes has to repeat to herself while she's receiving feedback. And she says things like, I'm brave enough to listen. Um, Mm. I don't have to take it all in or add it to my load, but I'm brave enough to listen. There's something valuable here take what works and leave the rest. Um, This is the path to mastery. Like you mentioned, these people care about this as much as I do. And keeping all of those things at the forefront of your mind when you Mm -hmm. are getting feedback um, from someone else, I think can help center you and keep you in the right frame of mind. Mm -hmm. I love the mantras. I'm kind of shocked that I have not highlighted them, particularly because I have... um, (laughs) I have a rocket book where you can write things and then erase them and they can go into your computer. And I have a page that says at the top, I'm brave enough to listen. Mm-hmm. And then I, I take notes on that page and then I erase the rest. But I put that at the top so that it's like my page to take notes if I'm in a conversation where I feel like I need that reminder. And I'm shocked they did not highlight that. And I'm looking right above it and my eye is falling on this word sucks because it's in, in italics, right? And then I kind of look above that and it says, hey, we're looking at the pitch you all submitted. We think it sucks. It's so far off brief and we can't believe you think we're going to spend this much money with you. And I'm like, who would have said that to her? I initially read that with the reaction of some of the kinds of language and the things that I tell myself when I am emotionally preparing to go into difficult conversations. I make up this story that the other person just thinks that I'm terrible, I'm not qualified, that I don't know what I'm talking about, or that I'm difficult to work with, or any of the things that I have worked so hard to overcome and to lean into my values and know who I am. And I think by having these mantras, this is a behavior, and I love behaviors that I can do because I get lost in the theory. This behavior can be used to just stop that talk. Like if you say, well, don't, don't give in to negative self-talk. And then I'm like, okay, don't give into it. And I'm like, I'm not even good at that. And then it'll start going all over again. So, (laughs) So instead of saying, don't give in to negative self-talk, we can, I love the idea of giving myself a mantra. I'm brave enough to listen. I'm brave enough to listen because while I'm telling myself that I can't do the negative talk at the same time. Sometimes they interrupt each other. Yes. But this is really, really powerful. If you are literally walking into one of those conversations, whether you're walking into physically or you're about to click on a zoom link, this that actually reminds me of some feedback that I got in the past as a Uh-oh. teacher 
went, no, it's, it's a positive. It's a good thing. I'm kidding. <laughs> but, um, okay. So this is when I was teaching the littlest ones, preschoolers, and it was toward the beginning of the year and we needed to set the foundation for what the rules are and what the behaviors were that we expected. And the way I approached it was more of a like, here are the things you do do and here are the things you don't do. And my director came in and she was like, you know what, actually, you can just leave all of those negative behaviors off because oh, when like you are... Yeah. So when you are putting those negative behaviors in front of students, like illustrating them or um, giving them the language like no hitting your friends, what is it that they're actually retaining? They're not really retaining the no part. What they're remembering is hitting hitting my friends, you know? So <laughs> it, it's kind of the idea of you don't even want to plant that seed. You don't even want that little nugget out there at all. So focus on the positive behaviors that you want to see rather than focusing on the negative behaviors you don't want to see. Mm. And that's what, and that was really helpful to me as a teacher. And that's what this reminded me of when you were talking, just in how you were treating yourself. And because you said when you're repeating those mantras and the positive things that you want to do, it kind of squeezes out those negative self-talk things. So yeah, it's helpful to remember with students and behaviors with children, but also behaviors with yourself. I also really love the idea of peer feedback. So in business, she says, a major key to the success of our program is training leaders and employees on what courageous feedback looks like and feels like. They do workshops where people practice giving each other feedback. So giving teachers the opportunity to practice giving feedback to each other and then giving students the opportunity to practice giving feedback to each other I love the idea. Sometimes it falls flat. And I think the piece that's missing is kind of a fishbowl activity, which is where you have maybe a group of four. You can just Google it. I know. But you have one person giving feedback to the other person. So you have person A giving feedback, person B receiving feedback. And then you have person C observing person A, and they're going to give feedback to person A, and person D is going to give feedback to person B, so that it is like the two people on the outside are kind of watching the fishbowl of feedback on the inside. But I think really highlighting and demonstrating what courageous feedback looks like is an essential piece. We are going to get it wrong all the time. We're going to give feedback. I, I We did yeah. an activity. We did peer feedback and I got it so wrong and had, this was very early on, like year one or year two, year two. And I had a conversation because somebody did not appreciate the feedback. Oh, no. I gave them. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> it, and I'll tell you, because it was the kind of feedback that I got. And I was like, oh man, that was really oh. hard when I got that feedback from my manager. So I'm seeing the same thing in this. I'm going to give them the same kind of feedback. Yeah. Well, I haven't earned that trust with them. My manager had earned the the trust with me and we did not have that kind of relationship to for me to give that kind of feedback to her and if it was beneficial feedback that benefit was probably lost so then yeah. 
I had a conversation with another manager about that feedback and about how that impacted her and that helped me grow. So when we go through all of this feedback, I don't think that school leaders can say, okay, feedback time and everybody's going to get it right. And it's going to be great. Mm -hmm. Like get messy with it and be okay with saying some of the stuff that you were saying earlier, maybe giving people maybe some of those rumble starters or just like a little list of something, even though we're all going to feel ridiculous, it's not going to feel natural because we're unpracticed at it and that's okay. So, you know, that's a lot for me to handle right now. Which one of those do you think is the most important or will have the most impact and go from there? And if it's awful the first time being okay with, you know, maybe it wasn't so great, Mm -hmm. but we can keep going to bat. Yeah. And I like what you said about how maybe the feedback itself was important and needed. That person really needed to grow in that area, but your whole approach Uh has an effect on whether or not they're able to receive it and actually put it to good use. So you have to be aware, not just of what you're saying, but how you're saying it. Yeah. There's or the circumstances in which you say it. Yeah. I, I just, I, you know, I walked away feeling like, wow, I just did a great thing. (laughs) And I'm helping this person out so much. (laughs) Like, oh, wow. And they were like, okay. And you know, Hmm. it's a whole thing. And I had not done the values exercise yet. And I think that is another thing when we're giving feedback, are we giving it, are we, do we feel any hustle in there? Cause you can tell mm-hmm. when you're hustling and if mm-hmm. so, then maybe think about, okay, what is it that this person really needs to grow that has nothing to do with me? Mm-hmm. It's not about you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Couple things I wanted to circle back to. Yes. When I was talking about presuming positive intent, yep. you said you wanted to revisit that. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on it. Okay. So this one, she goes through, and this is at 73% in the book. I don't know what page it is. Um, but she's talking about, she illustrated this point where somebody said people are doing the best they can. And there are people that are like, no, they're not. Mm-hmm. They, they're doing a terrible job. Like, don't tell me they're doing the best that they can. And I think the lens that she's using is bigger than that. But then I also felt like you were kind of right too. So here's, I have a two prong thing. Okay. One is yes. Assume that you don't know their intentions and be curious to be like, wow, that was really felt really unnecessarily harsh. Can you tell me what you meant by that? And then if they're giving you that same you know, kind of line that is in line with what you felt, then I think you can go to this next higher level that I'm going to describe in a minute. I feel like there are some really egregious things that people do. And what am I trying to say? So somebody makes like a sexist or racist joke or something like that. You might assume positive intent being that Maybe they don't know better, or maybe they're going through a personal trauma that has really caused them to 
to have horrible judgment and to make some really terrible decisions. Like you can have positive intent there, mm-hmm. but if it's something to where it's really going to cause other people harm, mm-hmm. I feel like you need to call them out on the behavior and you can call them out with curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. So I think what you're saying here is that assuming positive intent doesn't mean that certain words or behaviors get to just get a free pass. Like just because you're assuming positive intent about someone doesn't mean that they're, I mean, there still may be times that you need to call them out or give them very direct feedback or say, this is how you're coming across to me and it's not okay. Exactly. you don't have to drop your boundaries just because you are assuming positive intent about someone else. Yes. And it, I think goes back to an episode we were talking about earlier where we were talking about an episode of, we don't really even watch that much TV, but it comes in there. Yeah. TV is so well written right now that it really encapsulates kind of the human experience and in it's like a snapshot of our culture at that time that it was yeah. written. Um, and, and now it gets so many more voices that have not been heard before and it's just really powerful. But there's this moment that we talked about earlier where, um, the boss in crazy ex-girlfriend makes this racist comment and she assumes that that was not his intent to be so insensitive and she's going to yeah. hold him accountable to being a person that she can work around by saying, we need to have a conversation about that. Yeah. Because I can't remember what she said. We're going to have to circle back to that because I remember she says that's not okay or or something like that to Uh where he knows like, oh, that's not okay. So here's the piece in the book. She says, if people are doing the best they can, um, they, meaning the leaders or we'll say teachers don't know how to lead them. And I think that is a huge thing. If you have a student that's going through some trauma and they are doing some things in your classroom that make the classroom stressful for the other students to learn and you have to hold them accountable but sometimes you you're, you're kind of stuck like you've exhausted everything that you can do and here is the quote about um i think this was somebody in the leader where he says well so what are you going to do and he says he's got to move the rock she says what do you mean he says i have to stop mm-hmm. kicking the rock i need to move it it's hurting the both of us. He's not the right person for this position. And there's no amount of pushing or getting on him that's going to change that. He needs to be reassigned to a position where he can make a contribution. I read that and I had to stop and almost put the book down and come back to it and read, read it again. Because there are things in my life that are really difficult to move past. And the the people that have made those decisions or have those things in my life that I really, really care about. And I, I I just, I want so much more for them. They are doing the best they can. This is the life they were given. They may not have had the rising skills that I have. They may not have lots of things and I can be there for them and I can listen and I can try and be empathetic and all of those kind of things. But, but, Seeing this made me realize that maybe I need to have better boundaries in place and maybe I need to accept that they're doing the best they can and their role in my life has to change. Mm -hmm. That was, I keep saying life changing, but y'all, this book is just life changing. It just Mm -hmm. is. I'm just going to say it. 
And this also made me think, even with the example of the teacher, if that's a one-off, then yeah, like have a conversation with that teacher, hold them accountable to the, to the reason why you hired them or the reason why they are loved by their students in the community. But if that is happening on the regular, then have a conversation. And my understanding of this character is that he is like dying of cancer, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's not, I hope that's not a spoiler. I feel like that's a well-known thing. Yeah. But when he wrote this feedback, he was not. Like, this was pre-illness. Okay, well. Anyway. <laughs> um, so, the idea is, like, you can't deal. So, I'm just going to just go with it. Just go with it, people. So, <laughs> you can't have your marriage crumbling and deal with alcoholism and be dying of cancer and, you know, like, be behind on everything financially and, 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 and still be the kind of teacher that you were when you got hired. Mm-hmm. And that means that it's not your principal's job to help you through all of those problems. It is your principal's job to hold you accountable for, for teaching and to show some compassion, like maybe something needs to change about the, the role that you're assigned Maybe like, you know what? I understand that we value you. And I don't know the legalities because I'm not in human resources, but maybe something needs to happen where they need to go into a substitute role where they can, or maybe they need to have a part-time role, or maybe they need to be with a different group of kids that, or a different content area, because a lot of times we end up just going wherever we're needed even if that's not our strong suit. So there are some different things that leaders can do to support people going through some pretty big life-changing stuff. Mm -hmm. But we do have tools to manage those kind of things. And if we assume that people are doing the best they can, and I would say in life, then we can show up with more empathy and just be like, man, I wish that life was easier for them. Mm but it's not. I wish that, that just like when people going through like something and somebody wants to just go in there and, and be like, well, all you need to do is just, if you would just stop spending your money on cigarettes is a common one, right? Like, Mm -hmm. oh, you, you spend your money on cigarettes and you spend your money on lotto tickets and, and then you don't have money for rent and you don't have money for this. And it's really easy to be in that way. But we have to assume positive intent and we have to assume that we have no idea what led up to that, what trauma they've dealt with. And let's be clear, a lot of people have dealt with a lot of trauma and therapy is still not something that's accepted. Um, So we don't know why they're making those decisions, but we can be empathetic and we can put that back onto them and say, well, what does support from me look like while you're going through this? And not judge them for the decisions because we don't, we just don't know. We don't know what they've seen in their life. There was one more thing I wanted to circle back to. Please do, because I felt like I went on forever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the title of this part is Living Into Our Values. So I wanted to wrap everything together with what Brene says about, okay, so here's how you give feedback. Here's how you receive feedback. But what does that mean when we tie it together with our core values? And I think, I think what sums it up is what she says on page 202. 
she says, I, when she's about to either get or receive feedback, then she says, I think carefully about how I want to show up in the conversation. Mm -hmm. So that's where you tie it back to your values and you say, okay, who am I? What is important to me? What do I want to be to these people? What do I want to present? Um, what, you know, what, how do I live up to my values in this conversation? So yeah. that's where we may have things that are a little bit different because everybody has a little bit different value yeah. that they're living into, but just take whatever your core values are and think about how you can really lean into them in those tough conversations that are dealing with either giving or receiving feedback because both of those can be a little bit um, tension filled. So that was really important to me. It's just reminding myself um, out of all of this, out of all the advice that she gives us in both sides of feedback is thinking about ultimately what are my values and how do I want to show up in the conversations that helps me be true to my own values. I really love that. It makes me connect back to what you were saying earlier about how you can ask for more time if you need it. So maybe one of like, what are your values again? I know we both have growth, right? Yeah. Growth and usefulness and usefulness. Where would, okay. So if growth is one of your values, then in order for you to have the most opportunity to grow, that means that you give yourself permission to ask for clarity. You give yourself permission to ask for time to process in order for it to be useful. So is it, you want to be useful or you, is it like things that it would be everything, right? Like you appreciate things that are useful more than like if the, they have no function, you're just not down for it. Yes. Makes sense. Okay. But also that's how I want to show up in the lives of other people is how can I be useful in someone else's life? Well, we can talk about that later. You're very useful in my life. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I love the quote. This is why we call this value living big boundaries, integrity, and generosity. I never thought about generosity being connected to positive intent or even being like being generous with your assumptions can sometimes mean that you have to make a difficult decision, like letting somebody go. Like, how is that generous? That is not generous. I think about generous yeah. with money and that is the opposite because letting them go, it's like no money. Yeah. But she asks this, what boundaries need to be in place for me to be in my integrity, which is kind of what you were saying. Like, how do I show up in this conversation? And I think you're speaking to your integrity and generous with my, this is what you were talking about with the teacher that I think I got it a little bit wrong when I said I wanted to circle back and generous with my assumptions about the intentions, words, and actions of others. So if you're generous with your assumptions, you can be curious to not assume anything. So if they said mm -hmm. that, like, what did you mean by this to assume that you don't know? Um, yeah. Yeah. So that really, really ties to, it. I feel like I've dug a lot into the teacher support thing. How does this go into the lives of students? And let's talk about young students. I'm thinking about some of the young kiddos. I'm thinking about K through two or even pre-K. And there are some students that have a really hard time sharing, maybe sharing toys, sharing the spotlight. They 
may have not had a whole lot of sharing in their life. Maybe they are the oldest or they are the only ones. And sometimes it can be difficult to assume because you're just like, oh my goodness, child, can't you see there are 20 other kids that need my attention and not just you? So in a situation like that, where does positive intent and generosity play a role? The role might be that we don't know the reason why they want to have all that spotlight. Oh, 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 it goes back to the feedback piece. I'm going to scroll through it. So hang on, everybody go with me on this ride. So before you can make a judgment about why that student, like they just think they're the most important. No, they don't. They're five or maybe they do actually because I think there's some kind of psychological development process they have to go through before they can realize that the world does not revolve around them but um I know I'm giving I'm ready to give feedback when I recognize your strengths and how you can use them to address their challenges so when we have students um, of that young age and they're doing some behaviors and I think it goes back to what you were saying is that PBIS with the positive, positive behavior incentive system, incentive system that I asked, is that the one with the paper clip where you move it down if they make like wrong choices and stuff? And you, you were like, no, it's where you have the prize box. So if you have a student that is really having some difficulty demonstrating positive behaviors and you're trying to catch them doing stuff that's good and it's just, man stuff is going on and it's just not happening, then that is an opportunity for you to kind of coach that student through their strengths and recognize their strengths. Because I'm thinking about the kids that really live in the I'm bad, um, the ones that when they get in trouble, just kind of crumple, maybe they hit themselves they're just crumbling. They don't have a lot of positive behaviors. They're demonstrating that you can incentivize. I think maybe it takes looking for things that are really small. So at at first, when if you are looking for a certain behavior, but there are specific children in the classroom that just don't seem to be able to attain that behavior, look for the baby steps that are leading them toward it. So maybe they can't make it all the way down the hallway to the cafeteria without talking, but what if they can make it to the water fountain? You know, and just find those, just break it down for them so that they have smaller steps that are achievable rather than feeling like they're always failing because the steps are just too big. Yeah, that makes sense. I feel like a lot of teachers are like, yes, I do this, but do you understand? <laughs> yeah. It can be exhausting for everyone, but the I do feel like we should just have a little, if it was somehow, you know, FERPA friendly and appropriate, like just videotape your class, maybe after you've taught their, the rules a little bit, maybe that first week, and then watch that same videotape at the end, the last couple of weeks of school record again and you will see a gigantic amount of growth in those kids but it's probably always going to be a little hard because they're overcoming things and you don't always have all the tools 
And since we've gone down this rabbit trail, <laughs> I think it really is important. Like you said, well, we're venturing into territory that we're not um, experts in, you know, mm -hmm. with as far as child psychology and everything. But you know what? Maybe we need to learn a little bit more about it. I mean, I know I had what, yeah. one course in college uh, on yep. child development or whatever, but maybe that's something that we need to invest a little bit more time in learning about as teachers because it is so important. Instead of saying, oh, well, that's just not my area of expertise. Uh, maybe that's an area that we as educators need to grow in and learn yeah. more about brain development and uh, human behaviors and um, brain theory and psychology and uh, the reasons behind behaviors and everything. Um, yeah. Well, and I, you know, I said in another episode that I asked our, we, our district had a behavior specialist who had more background in the area and I invited her to, to my class and she was very generous to give her time. So if that's something that you can do, that might be another step. Another thing is going back to this positive intent thing. She, Brene Brown had the people in the workshop write the write the name down of someone that fills them with frustration, disappointment, and resent that and resentment, and then said that person is doing the best they can. So maybe even that writing those kiddos' names down and just looking at their name and saying they are doing the best they can. If you have that real belief, maybe some of those solutions and ideas will just unlock a little more easily for you. Oh my! When God. you said when you said someone who fills you with disappointment and frustration, uh, my mind, I'm no, no, <laughs> it's my dog. <laughs> like, that's, what, that's immediately what my mind went to. And I'm like, okay, like he just turned a year old. He's still got so much puppy in him and he's so loving and he just wants to love you, but he does it so roughly. And he, <laughs> You know, so often he just drives me crazy and I get frustrated, but I'm like, you know what? Poor little guy. He's doing the best that he can. And <laughs> if I want him to do better, then I need to continue to teach him to do better. <laughs> rather That's than your just part. Expect yes. But also yes. you have to have self-compassion. And here's the other thing. Like you've got to have, sometimes I think you have to have acceptance too, because here's, here's the loop, right? Like, okay, it's my part. He's not, because I went the same way. We've got to. Y'all, we have a Jack Russell Terrier as our first dog we've ever owned. And nobody told us, but we didn't do the research that that, maybe if you're not a dog person, isn't the dog for you because she is amazing and lovely, but she has a lot of, she's a digger. She's gets into everything. She's eaten four pairs of my glasses. Yeah. So here's the loop for this is okay, yes, she's doing the best that she can. She's acting this way because I haven't trained her and I should train her. And then that adds to the million list of things that we should do. And you can only give, you can't give a hundred percent to everything. It's mm -hmm. just literally not possible. That's kind of the whole point of the per cent. So you have to sometimes accept that, okay, they are going to have this behavior because I don't have capacity yeah. To train them properly. And I'm just going to have to put up with this annoying thing because dealing with the annoyance is more acceptable to me right now than giving up the few moments that I have. Right. To train them. Yeah. Because it's about, it's about saying, okay, 
they're doing the best they can, but guess what? I'm doing the best I can too and being okay with that. Absolutely. And so you're doing the best that you can does not mean that it's a cop out or an excuse. It gives you awareness and then owning your part gives you a deeper understanding to the tools that you have available to you to um, support that student or that teacher or whoever is in your life, maybe your dog. So we hope um, that you consider how living into your values affects the way that you both give and receive feedback Mm -hmm. to and from all stakeholders in your sphere of work. So when you're preparing to offer feedback to your students, maybe go back through that Renee's list of I'm ready to give feedback when, and remember we talked about how it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to look, go through that checklist every single time you speak to a student, but maybe that's just part of your preparation for creating that positive classroom climate at the beginning of the school year. And when you're receiving feedback from school leaders, from colleagues, from instructional coaches, from parents, just take a deep breath, remind yourself, that you're brave enough to listen and that there's something valuable there. Take what works and leave the rest. So, I mean, with something as high stakes as education, as the education of children and young adults, I mean, passions are bound to run high. And just remember that those giving you feedback want the same outcome that you do. They care about it just as much as you. Um, What we're aiming for is well-adjusted, well-educated, and successful human beings. And so we're all working together toward that goal. Um, So Liz, what is your own hope for growth from this part? I want to have more examples of when I'm brave enough to listen. What about I'm you? just jotting that down so we don't forget it next time. <laughs> so many times. <laughs> um, mine is those mantras. So bringing them back to the forefront of my mind when I am on the receiving end of feedback, reminding myself I'm brave enough to listen. There's something valuable here. And just repeating those to Mm -hmm. myself, I think will be helpful for me. What about, how are you doing with your goal from last time, digging into the behaviors that hold you to your values or that could be a slippery slope? What I have recognized as I reflected on this, um, one of my values is usefulness, which we just mentioned. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about what are the slippery slope, the behaviors that, um, that make me not lean into that value. And I have found that it's a lot easier for me to lean into my value of usefulness when I feel like I'm being helpful to other people. It is less easy for me to live into my value when I need to be helpful to myself. So um, that's what I really noticed was um, just being aware of making sure that I am creating opportunities and I am using behaviors that are useful to my own personal well-being physically and emotionally and mentally um, and not just always focusing on the the usefulness to those outside of me. There's something so strangely wrong about how people view themselves and everybody else. The idea that being useful to yourself is hard just seems 
totally ridiculous or that you would love other people and not yourself just seems like, well, Mm -hmm. who, like, why wouldn't you be your best friend? Yeah. Who, I mean, who else is to, to do it better than yourself? And I say that, of course, you guys have heard me say all of my craziness or not my craziness because that's not an, an appropriate term anymore, but all of my self-doubt on here before. So of course I feel it too. And on my best of best days, I do okay. Mm-hmm. I do way better than I've ever done before. But on my worst days, I can be totally unnecessarily cruel. And then it helps me to be like, well, that is ridiculous. Like who else, who else but you should love yourself as much as yeah. you do. Like you should love yourself more than anybody else. But there's something about that that feels, I don't know, like something to be mocked on Saturday Night Live or, yeah. <laughs> you know, like uh, I think it's it's not modest, but I think if you really did appreciate yourself, you could be more modest, more like appreciating your body allows you to not have as much armor about your body. So what was your hope for growth and did you grow? <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah. Actually, like right before we recorded the last episode, it was leaning into the people that hold me accountable with love and then digging into those behaviors as well. And I found there were a couple of things. One is I leaned into you because you do that. You're literally my accountability partner at work. And then also Mm -hmm. I would say probably in life. And I can be very (laughs) honest with you because I have, you have put so many marbles in my marble jar (laughs) that I know that you will hold me accountable accountable with love. And my husband does that too, where you will say to me, well, what did you mean by that? Or something that you understand that I'm asking you because I want to grow allows me to really get into the slippery slope and the values piece. It, man, I just, it's like, I went into this to become a better leader and I feel like I'm becoming a better human. And that is my favorite part about the whole thing. Well, that's what it is. It's who you are is how you lead. Like you can't really separate in the the book. I feel like it's one of those with the big, big text. (laughs) (laughs) I'm on the right track then. (laughs) You can keep this conversation going. We have a Facebook page. We have not done a group yet. That might be something we do in the future, but you can put those on the Facebook page. It's just educators who dare to lead. We also have an Instagram hashtag that is all one word, educators who dare to lead. We'd love to hear your comments, your reflections. You can follow us individually on Instagram. I'm virtually Tabitha um, on Instagram. On LinkedIn, I'm just Tabitha Securis, S-E-K-U-R-A-S. I'm Elizabeth Walker Ike. Ike is spelled E-K on Instagram and on LinkedIn. It's Elizabeth Ike. And next time we are going to cover part three, Braving Trust. How are we this close to the end? Just page 221 in the book, 74 to about 81% in the Kindle. And it's only a 30 minute listen in the audiobook. So until next time, keep daring, be brave, face tough conversations, and live with your whole heart. I'm Elizabeth. I'm Tabitha. Bye. Bye.